on WHMP. This is Indeed Talk the Talk. I'm Bill Newman. And I'm Buzz Eisenberg. And there is a lot in the news today, Buzz. It's a big news day. What's first on your agenda of things that concern you or caught your attention? Schools, schools, schools. It's, uh, the, I'm looking at the headline in this morning's Daily Hampshire Gazette. In Northampton, fresh start for schools. And it talks about Portia Bonner, the new Northampton superintendent of schools. Seems like things are pretty uh, copacetic in the Northampton arena. Well, they haven't been for in some time, I think. There was a search, of course, for a new superintendent. But everything I've heard is people are thrilled with the new superintendent and the way she has managed to bring the school system together. A lot of enthusiasm for what is going to happen in this school year. So I think that is really uplifting for the city of Northampton and the students and the teachers. And goodness knows, good news in schools. Well, we've had a bit of a shortage of that recently. So good for Northampton, good for the new superintendent. And we certainly wish the schools, the students, the teachers, a fabulous new school year. And how, how about the school committee in Northampton? It seems like the stability and direction and uh, it seems like people are getting along in the school committee in Northampton. Yeah, I'm not so sure about that, but uh, I don't want to be po Pollyannish. And we will, in fact, have some of the candidates for school committee on the show uh, between now and Election Day, and we'll be talking more about that. There are not many contested elections. I don't. I think it's actually been a difficult uh, job for quite a while, and there has been a lot, a number of contentious issues before the school committee, uh, which has been covered. Uh, a lot of dispute about the math curriculum, which you may recall. A lot of dispute about a proposed speech code uh, a year or year and a half ago. So. Uh, I think that saying everything was copacetic in the Northam School Committee is quite Pollyannish, but I do think that the school system is in very good shape because, let's be clear, the school committee does not run the schools day to day. The policies that are made uh, are sometimes important. Uh, the budget, of course, is crucial, but the day-to-day -day functioning of the schools, that's a matter of the that's a matter that's up to the administration, uh, the superintendent, and the teachers, not the school committee. I'm, Although we should point out in Amherst, there's some dispute about who's running what in the schools. Right, but there, there are administrators for uh, curriculum and you know teaching and learning and that sort of stuff that doesn't fall within the school committee's uh, sort of jurisdiction. But uh, when I when I say copacetic, I mean, uh, everything is relative. Because I was thinking of what goes, if you just take a little bridge on Route 9 and go over the Connecticut River, things are not so copacetic in the school uh, governance arena in uh, the town of Amherst. Uh, all contraire, we've got chaos. Well, again, one thing that has been pointed out on this show with the various individuals we've been talking to uh, from Amherst and about Amherst is, does, and I think this topic is crucial, is does this chaos at the top 
and the chaos in the school committee with the resignations, both the regional school committee and the town's school committees, does that affect the day-to-day operations of the schools, or can the schools and do the schools continue to function uh, well, and do teachers continue to teach and students continue to learn, uh, notwithstanding the adults uh, are acting like children? Um, or okay, mean, mean children, but the adults are not acting <laughs> well, uh, and and I think that that's an important distinction. Uh, you know, I think that what we have been told is that the students will continue to get the education they deserve because the teachers are going to continue to teach and do their jobs, and uh, it may not affect in Amherst. It may not affect uh, the day to day operations of the schools. Eventually, of course, it would. Uh, budgets are a crucial matter, and that's what's within the purview of the school committee, for example. But the courses are going to be taught, the students are going to be engaged, the teachers will teach. Uh, and I don't mean to be Pollyannish about it. I think these are obviously very important issues in Amherst. But life will go on in the schools. I guess, but a lot of these uh, sort of uh, leadership, uh, these changes in leadership, uh, either in the school committees, the, the four committees that, that actually govern uh, the policy end of things in Amherst, uh, or the superintendency, which is, is vacant right now. We, we, we hear that today we will get an announcement of a new superintendent, whether that's going to be an interim or acting superintendent or a permanent hire, we don't know. Um, we have an assistant superintendent who is uh, filing, she's, uh, filing suit. She's made a claim before the Massachusetts Commission Against Discrimination as an African-American female saying that uh, she uh, has been discriminated against. A lot of these problems that we've seen began in the school, in the classroom. Uh, allegations of first, as long ago as eight or nine years ago, insensitivity um, towards African-American students. More recently, in the spring, we have the graphic, the uh, student um, uh, newspaper claiming that trans kids and LGBTQ kids, um, that uh, they were bullied and that not only bullied by other students, but bullied by uh, guidance counselors whose job it is to help them uh, under such circumstances. Um, There's allegations of some teachers who are insensitive. So... um, it, it, it seems like, I don't know, seem, it, it, from, as an outsider, but we've been talking to uh, uh, three recently resigned school committee members in Amherst or Pelham School Committee um, or in the regional school committee. The chairs of some of these committees have resigned, and, and they're saying they're not just resigning because they want to take a different take on the way things should be done. They're resigning because they feel like... Um, it has been personally destructive for them to be members, volunteer members of local school governance. That's, I don't know, that's serious stuff. Well, it is serious. I, I want to comment on a couple of things you just said, Buzz, and then I would like to have a discussion with you and Dan and get your opinion about what it's like and what it means to for volunteers uh and volunteer elected officials to be subject to such vitriol and what that does to the fabric of the community. I think that's really important. But at first, a couple of quick comments on something you just said. I would be shocked, shocked if today 
there were an announcement of a permanent superintendent in Amherst. I assume this is going to be a nationwide search for a new permanent superintendent. Uh, I expect there'll be a, a temporary or interim superintendent, but I guess anything is possible. That said, I think that there's going to have to be real consideration uh, and community involvement in the hiring of the new superintendent. And I, that's what I expect will happen in Amherst. I think that would be the usual process. And for a immediate process to happen and just put someone in as the superintendent, permanent superintendent, I, I don't think that's going to happen. I mean, one thing I think uh, we understand the importance of is process, both in hiring and in other realms of uh, governance and I expect that there will be, and I hope there will be an announcement of a uh, an interim because superintendent's position, I think, will add a lot of stability to the school and I think will add credibility to the report that will come out about, about the investigation into whether there has been uh, either discrimination, insensitivity, or otherwise inappropriate uh, uh, counseling and treatment of LGBTQ students in Amherst. So these are important. I agree with you. I don't think that the, the I mean, these, these are not uh, 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 paper mache positions where people can sort of uh, fake their way through and do to doing a good job. Uh, they're important. But I'm, well, I was trying to make the point that I think teachers in Amherst are still going to teach and, this, and they're going to do a great job as I think the school system has a deserved reputation for excellence in its teaching. Yeah, I do, I do agree with that. That is the reputation for many years. Uh, people in, in other regions have tuitioned their kids to get them to go to Amherst Regional because it's uh, because of its reputation. And and I have uh, I've been fortunate enough on a number of occasions to be asked to speak there about um, civil rights, civil liberties. Uh, to be a sort of a, a mentor, although that's putting it too strongly, but to come in and model for uh, students who have uh, semester-long projects that they wanted to undertake that involve social justice kind of stuff. And I've been so impressed with what I've seen every time I've stepped foot in that school. Um, and it's just partly, it, it makes these troubles even more glaring and more... Um, I'll say demoralizing. In, in terms of the superintendency, uh, Michael Morris, a superintendent who uh, has been widely respected by many and identified with the schools, his longevity in the schools, and a, a good seven-year run as superintendent uh, on the 17th, I think, of August. He was, um, uh, his uh, departure was announced formally with a severance pay that became sort of lightning rod for a few people. Um, who complained about how the number was arrived at and how large the number is. But while he was on, he was on a medical leave from mid-May until, I guess, for a couple of months. And during that time, uh, Douglas Slaughter, he was a finance director for the schools. He served as the interim superintendent. And there were some people wondering whether or not he's going to continue as the interim Superintendent, um, I think you're probably right that, that, I, that it won't be an acting or, I mean, it will be an acting or uh, interim superintendent, and they will do a nationwide search. I think that's tr probably true. Can, can I we, think it's... Go ahead. I think it's going to be hard to, to hire someone. I mean, Amherst has a 
deserved reputation for excellence in its teaching. But I think this kind of uh, uh, trauma and uh, uh, and and controversy, I think, makes hiring a new superintendent more difficult. It's got to be someone who's willing to step into a situation that will feel fraught and is. So uh, I don't think it's going to be an easy job to hire the new superintendent and have a feeling of community support and real community support for the new superintendent with a presumption of good faith and the like for that person, whoever they are. So I do think that's it's a crucial hire for Amherst coming up, but I don't think it's today's problem. I think today's problem is the school system, the school year starting, and looking and looking forward to, that's not the right phrase, but anticipating this report on and the results of the investigation uh, into the situation that was revealed first by the student newspaper, as you point out. Yeah. I, other things on other things in today's newspapers you want to or today's no, but I'd like just one to... more word on that because I had a personal experience. You in Northampton, I think were fortunate. I think that his run was a good one. Bruce Willard was the superintendent of schools. The backstory was, for, I think, for nine years, he was the superintendent of uh, the schools in which my kids attend in the public schools uh, under the Mohawk Regional School District. Uh, jurisdiction, um, both the elementary school and our middle and uh, high school were governed by the, his superintendency. And Bruce Willard loved working at that school, but the nature of the regional school district at the time, we had nine towns, which meant every month, nine school committees from each of the towns that Bruce had to go out in the evenings and attend these and answer to all these. And he, he told me that while he loved, when he left, I said, we're so sorry to see you go because he was a beloved superintendent when he left to come to Northampton. He, he said to me, it's just, um, I, I loved the district, but the politics of so many school committees made it really difficult to, to, to have a life. And um, I, I've remembered that now, maybe 20 years later, whatever it is, that it's not an easy job to be a superintendent in a public school district. Well, you point out the specific difficulties of being a superintendent of, in a regional school district, which has to accommodate all of the different municipalities that make up the region. So that is a level of complexity that is not present when a superintendent is superintendent for one municipality, school systems in one one municipality that said i think that it is important for us to recognize that and i think this is said often now it is difficult to hire a superintendent because there are many educators accomplished administrators who don't want the job it's just too difficult and yes regional administrators have even more difficulties in terms of the politics because there are politics of all of the different city, towns you generally uh, in the district to deal with. Uh, but you know, you look at Amherst and say, this is a really tough job. Who would really want this job? I mean, there must be other places where you could feel more effective and less harassed and less attacked. Right, right. And, and the regional school district in Amherst uh, 
region is includes Shutesbury, Leverett, as well as Amherst and Pelham. So, um, and th those those are interesting communities, and I think uh, in many ways outspoken ones as well. Bill, why, why don't we take a break? When we come back, I'd like to talk about volunteerism in our local municipalities. Let's do it. We'll be right back. American history and practical man. You study him hard and hoping to pass. Working your fingers right down to the bone. And the guy behind you won't leave you alone. Ring, ring goes the bell. The cook in the lunchroom ready to sell. This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. Find local news and local talk for the Valley. Which says we need to appeal to the wealthy white people of our region because the marginalized people do not have money. Which is true, but as we know, that's what happens when you have centuries of policies that are oppressive, that are racist. Where the heart of the Pioneer Valley lives. 1015 and 1400 WHMP News, Information and the Arts. What's cooking at River Valley Co-op? Here's avid eater, grocery shopper, and co-op member, Bill Newman. Local farmers are arriving at the co-op every day with summer berries, corn, tomatoes, and watermelon, and endless bounty. At the co-op seafood counter, Little Neck clams are rolling in. What goes better with corn and tomatoes than sweet, briny Little Necks? No time to cook today? The co-op makes pizza, sandwiches, burgers, sushi, and smoothies, and they make it all from scratch. River Valley Co-op, wild about local. Everyone is welcome. Smith Academy in Hatfield is accepting school choice applications now. With an average class size of 10, Smith Academy supports all students. They offer more than 20 clubs, 8 AP courses, 14 sports teams, work study, and internships, and free dual enrollment at HCC and Smith College. Computer science for all students. With a graduation rate of over 95%, most college bound, Smith Academy can prepare you for the next step. No cost to apply or attend. Call us or go to HatfieldPS.net and schedule a tour today. I didn't think it was possible for me to be an alcoholic. I was 24 with a good career. I thought that alcoholism only happened to middle-aged men and celebrities. I thought something else was making me sick, shaky, and afraid to face people. Then I found AA and discovered it wasn't something else. It was alcohol. AA helped me find a new life. Alcoholics Anonymous. It works. Look us up. Online and in-person meetings. For more, call 413-532-2111 or visit Western Mass AA Org. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. As we begin this new school year, we also have a overlay of the importance of volunteers, volunteers who run for school committee, volunteers who run for city council, volunteers who run for town council, volunteers who staff, in effect, all of the agencies and commissions and committees that make towns and the cities run. And, well, I don't know if it's fair to call it a crisis here in Western Massachusetts, because that's maybe hyperbolic and everything gets touted as a crisis. But there is real concern, and I think this concern is underscored 
by what has been happening in Amherst, how difficult it is sometimes to serve as a volunteer, as an elected volunteer perhaps, but a volunteer nonetheless in municipal government. Buzz, you had some thoughts about this we were talking about before we went on the air today, and I'd appreciate it if you would share your perspective with our listeners. I, I do, Bill, and I, I thanks to my association with uh, this show and this radio station and um, you and people like you in the city of Northampton or the, the city of Greenfield, the town of Amherst, but also, I'm from the Hilltowns, so we have, I think, in my, my town of roughly 1,800 people, less than 1,400 of us are registered voters. We have over 230 positions on, as you said, our local boards and agencies and councils and committees and commissions that, you know, everything from our Human Rights Commission to our Council on Aging or our uh, Conservation Commission, we need people to staff it and I've and, and not to mention our volunteer fire department and uh, our volunteer fire department when I first moved to Ashfield had about 40 volunteer firefighters we now have 16 people have aged out uh, two people have to work now um, and they have child care obligations and it's just harder to recruit people and as a result there are certain committees that can't get quorumed um, even in our little town, it's not as much of a, you're right, I shouldn't call it a crisis, although I think what's happening in Amherst where they can't quorum a, a school committee, that's that's pretty close to a, a crisis. Although, like, although, although let's, let's just inter, in, interject right here that there is a report that those positions may be filled. There will be an election, of course, coming up, but those positions may be filled on at least a temporary basis. And I can't say I completely understand the governance of that, but the committee apparently, the school committee apparently is going to be able to continue to function. Right. I, and I, too, have read that on September 23rd, I think, the town council in, in Amherst, the uh, principal governance body in Amherst, will be appointing some interim people. And there's a discussion um, um, among counselors about whether or not it's unfair with only a month and a half to go or two months to go before a, an election, whether sh they should be uh, creating incumbencies that would give an, un an advantage to those who are appointed to fill temporary positions. But, you know, generally speaking, volunteerism, um, our towns, even those that have paid professionals like superintendents to actually run governmental bodies, entities, um, or paid fire chiefs, et cetera. It's, we still need volunteers, and I don't know how we are going to refill so many of the positions that are sitting empty in, in so many municipalities. I know Ashfield is not alone. I, all of our surrounding communities have a whole lot of uh, vacancies. and um, I, I mean, it's just a problem. Well, Northampton has actually looked into this and is addressing it. Uh, Councillor Garrick Perry has been spearheading an effort to encourage and to uh, encourage people to volunteer and participate and to be engaged. And he has uh, been uh, working very hard to increase the diversity of those uh, committees and commissions. And I think that if the municipality itself is devoted to making sure that it 
functions that it goes along that it functions well by having a diverse and engaged citizenry I, I think that that will go and does go a long way and I think Northampton is actually uh, creating a model for how to continue to have citizen participation resident participation in a meaningful way so that the city the municipality really does belong to the people who live there I think that's such an important initiative and uh, kudos to Northampton for paying attention to um, to, to that problem. It's uh, I think I think it's terrific, and there are so many civic-minded people in this region generally, but certainly in Northampton. Um, it also requires, I think, a payback in the sense that people need to feel that their efforts are being not necessarily recognized, but at least appreciated for what they are doing. And it is, in fact, an effort for people who may be working more than one job, who have childcare responsibilities, who may have to be caring for other uh, members of their family, aging uh, uh, relatives and, and the like. I mean, people are busy. So to ask them to take time and energy and effort and thought and caring and putting it into an unpaid position we are asking a lot of people, and yet there is a real payback here in terms of saying, look what we have done. We have made our community better. Look at the schools, look at the uh, department, look at the committee, look at the commissions, look what we have something to show for our efforts. And I think that that kind of engagement and that kind of appreciation for civic engagement is crucial. It is crucial. I can tell you that it has been so fulfilling for me to be a part of our local governance on a volunteer basis because of the people that I've worked with um, and, and because you feel like the community, you take ownership in the place that you live when you volunteer in that way. But it's also what's so demoralizing. We just recently this week we've had on the show Peter Demling, recently resigned as the chair of the Union 26. Uh, an Amherst school committee, um, and we've had Ben Harrington, who was who recently resigned as the chair of the Amherst Pelham Regional School District and the Amherst School Committee. And what was so demoralizing for me is for them to say they were doing it for personal reasons. Not only was it no longer rewarding, but they, they felt they were being punished for their volunteer service. That's just over-the-top bad policy, I think. Well, I think it raises a really important question, which we're going to continue to discuss among ourselves and with guests on the show, which is how do you reconcile the importance of civility in our civic discourse with freedom of speech and the right to express oneself uh, intensely and passionately about the issues that come before the town? There is a way to have a discussion about issues that really engender emotional responses that does not drive people away from the positions that they hold. There is a way to do that without infringing on freedom of speech, freedom of association, the right to be heard and the right to speak. There's a way to do it. Doesn't seem that Amherst has quite gotten it right recently. You're absolutely right. And that's why I know how lucky I am to be living where I do with the people that, but more importantly, Bill, I am surrounded by good people here in the studio. I've got a couple of reverends sitting here with me. Well, you do, 
and I think what we'll do is we'll take a break. We're going to come back, and on the other side, we're going to have a Have Faith segment where we are going to talk about a very passionate subject that makes people feel, well, very engaged, but also, I think, very moved and very concerned with a moral dimension that I want to explore. We're going to be talking about the death penalty with Reverend Michael McCherry and Reverend Andrea Vazian right after this. More Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg coming up right here on WHMP. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. East Hampton is set to receive over $1 million to repair infrastructure. The grant is part of the Healy Driscoll Administration's Community Development Block Grants. The money will be aimed at improving the quality of life for residents of the new city neighborhood, one of the oldest and densest residential sections of the city. It will upgrade outdated and inefficient public infrastructure. Former Amherst School Committee member Peter Demling is the latest to resign amid an ongoing Title IX investigation. There have been multiple times where parades of cars have gone past my home, you know, where my family, my personal life, trying to pressure uh, decisions are disagreed with. And this, this is a tactic that has been used in Amherst in the past. Demling says the transition has been hard. Yeah, I mean, I'll be fully open and honest with you. I've done a lot of soul searching about that. And I'm, uh, you know, it's it's been a transition process trying to decouple from this engagement that's dominated all of my free time for the last six and a half years. The school committee is currently looking to fill the empty seats. Anyone interested in filling these positions needs to submit a statement of interest by September 20th. The Greenfield Redevelopment Authority has received no response to its request for proposals for the first national bank building on Bank Row. They are now looking into other options for the future of the building, including the process of giving the building to the city. The building has been unopened since 1976, but has had some renovations completed, including a new roof, removal of hazardous waste, and replacing the windows and doors when it was owned by the Franklin County Community Development Corporation. Your forecast for today, it's going to be mostly sunny. We'll see a high of 75, clear and cool tonight down to 48. Tomorrow, mostly sunny. We'll see a high of 76. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. Mom, tell us about Tom Lake. A woman and her three daughters gather at the family's northern Michigan orchard where, while picking cherries, the daughters beg their mom to tell stories of the famous actor she long ago shared a stage and a romance with. Mom dishes, and the daughters soon find themselves examining their own lives, reconsidering the world and everything they thought they knew. Tom Lake. New from powerhouse author Ann Patchett. Pick up Tom Lake at Northampton's independent bookstore, Broadside Bookshop. Hi, this is Jessica from Fitness Together. I meet clients every day who tell me that as the number on their scale grew higher, their self-esteem dropped lower, and going to a traditional gym absolutely terrified them. Here at Fitness Together, we'll work with you one-on-one, either virtually or in one of our private suites in Amherst or Northampton. We'll help you set and reach your fitness goals, and most importantly, smile every time you look in the mirror. Fitness Together in Amherst and Northampton. Your self-worth is worth Fitness Together. Sunday mornings on WHMP means polka. Celebrate the Valley's proud Polish heritage with Polka Carousel. Every Sunday morning from 8 till noon, TZ brings his award-winning Polka Carousel to the airwaves of the Valley, playing the Polka Classics and the latest Polka Hits. 
there are polka hits? Brought to you by Saluzniak Funeral Home, Northampton's funeral home for over 110 years and four generations of unparalleled thoughtful memorial care. It's Polka Carousel, WHMP. Comedy as a Weapon presents Comedy Cause 5, a comedy night fundraiser Saturday, September 9th at the Academy of Music in Northampton. Join comedians like Kim DeShields, Timothy Lovett, Janet McNamara, and HBO's Kevin Lee. Comedy Cause 5, the back-to-school edition at the Academy of Music in Northampton. Doors open at 7.30, tickets cost $25. All the proceeds will support the Care Center. Visit ComedyWeapon.com for more information. Sponsored by Sage Housing, Inc. And this is our Have Faith segment. We have with us today the Reverend Michael McSherry from Edwards Church here in Northampton and the Reverend Andrea Vazian, who's part of the senior leadership team at the Alden Baptist Church in Springfield. Reverend McSherry, I'd like to begin with you because the last time you were with us on the show, you began to tell us the story of your uncle mm-hmm. and what happened to your family. And it is a dramatic, intense and difficult story and i really appreciate you sharing it with us it is going to lead us into a discussion of the death penalty reverend mccherry tell us the story if you would please sure bill um in 1994 uh, my uncle clinton mccherry uh, who lived in an apartment building next door to my parents home uh, which was the home he grew up in uh, was brutally beaten to death by a fellow who he had just paid or was in the process of paying for uh, shoveling the front walk. Um, and uh, it was, was a horrible, horrible crime and obviously devastating to our family. Um, but after the, uh, after the perpetrator was, was caught um, and arrested, um, he rapidly uh, confessed not only to killing my uncle, but several days earlier had beaten to death another elderly man under similar circumstances, and the police were already looking for him. Um, because he uh, was prepared to confess, um, that put uh, the district attorney's office in negotiation mode regarding punishment. Um, my parents and my father, want to ask? Go ahead. I'd like to know, where was this? Frederick, Maryland. Okay, thank you. Um, The district attorney, or the state's attorney in Maryland, uh, wanted to know how my father felt about punishment because they consult uh, victim families. And uh, Dad said, well, I don't think the guy should ever see the light of day, but I don't want him killed and they said thank you just you know consulting the the family of the other victim did want to keep the death penalty on the table and I think the fact that uh, our family wasn't interested helped the district attorney to persuade them to accept two life sentences without parole in Maryland I don't know if it's still an option but at the time that was an option And I need to say that the perpetrator 
um, radiated evil. If you were in the room with him, which I never was, but siblings were in the courtroom. But if you saw his picture, you would look at him and say, if, if you want to see a person whose face makes you worried, his did. Uh, which caused me to wonder why my uncle was willing to let the guy follow him up to his apartment to get paid, but we'll never know. Um, the question that I think you know people want to know most is why didn't you want him executed? If that was an option and available to your family, why aren't you interested in having someone punished? Um, the bottom line is twofold. One, um, as we started to talk about the last episode, um, last time I was here, there are only two justifications I've ever heard for capital punishment. The first is um, making other people uh, think twice before doing something punishable. Deterrence. Deterrence. And all the research has indicated it totally fails on that count. Um, so the only other justification or explanation for it is revenge, really. It, we, we say it's justice, but what we mean is an eye for an eye. And, um, you know, as Gandhi famously said, if eye for an eye uh, is to be followed, soon the whole world will be blind. Um, so, uh, you know, Dad was standing uh, next to me in, a, in an office where we were taking care of some matters related to my uncle's estate. And someone who worked in that office just said to him, hey, Jim, I, I, you know, I, I, I saw what happened to your brother. I think it's horrible. Do you know the guy who did it lived in an apartment across the street? And he starts to point. And Dad goes, well, I guess he had looked at him and said, I don't. And I'm sorry you feel that way, because what will that accomplish? And I think that's really the point, is... Um, the taking of lives has to stop someplace. And um, I believe that, you know, you, you can't get someone back, right? You, you can't revive them. Um, and civilization has to stand for something. And I think it's, it's, it's to find a way to regulate our impulses. So. But, but Reverend McSherry, I, I, I want to understand this. If I am trying to put myself in your position mm -hmm. and your fa father's position, and if someone close to me had been murdered, <clears throat> much as I oppose capital punishment and have worked in opposition to capital punishment for decades and decades and decades, I nonetheless would feel hatred for that person. I would feel the need or the desire for revenge. And I've never been in this position until you experience it. I guess you never know how you're really going to react. But I expect that it would be an obstacle to overcome those raw emotions for revenge and get back to what I know is your position you just so eloquently stated that why it makes no sense why it's wrong why it's immoral why it's 
not only ineffective, but destructive, all of those things. But I would feel that emotion. I, I want to get even. I, I'd appreciate your perspective on that. Just before we started this segment, we were talking about civil discourse in local politics. I have, I have uh, siblings and brothers and sisters-in-law um, who are on the other side of contemporary political issues that make it very difficult for us to have a civil conversation about some things. So we don't talk about it. And I, I think um, as a society, until we get back to the point where we can talk about it, we're going to be severely hamstrung in how, how productive we can be, how creative we can be in finding solutions. It's at bottom the same issue, Bill. I think it, it is, Reverend McCary, and I just want to add, that's why uh, Bill's question is exactly the right question, and I think it's unfair to ask those who are suffering a loss as great as your family's loss mm -hmm. you just described to us, to, to be the arbiter of what society should do. Their it's an un unfair position to put them in. It's too much of a burden. Um, and I, I, I see you, Reverend Evasion, nodding your head. Uh, let me let me just interject one because I want to ask Andrea Vazian exactly this question, but I want to interject this. I think it's also an, a, 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 a just a bizarre system where the punishment, whether the person lives or dies, is decided by the people or the feelings or the attitudes of people who have been most directly affected. In other words, for the person who murdered. Uh, Reverend McSherry's uncle, he was lucky that his family, Reverend McSherry's family, didn't want the death penalty, didn't believe in it, was opposed to it. But if they had been on the other side of this, mm -hmm. he might have died. Let me turn to Reverend Andrea Vazian, if we might. Your perspective? My perspective is that I am strongly opposed to the death penalty, strongly opposed to it. And uh, when my colleague, my beloved colleague sitting by me right here, um, Reverend Michael McSherry, was talking about an eye for an eye, I want to remind us that Jesus often said, you have heard, but I tell you. And this is a case where he said, Michael's smiling, you have heard, but I tell you, Jesus said, you have heard it has been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. The fact that we ask families in trauma and in crisis to be the judge and the jury, I mean, to decide about the death penalty is just, I think, not only unfair, but actually immoral. I was thinking about our conversation today and doing some reading, and I read that Mario Cuomo, I find this so interesting, the Mario Cuomo, carried in his wallet a small little card that said, if I should be killed, murdered, I do not want the perpetrator to be executed by the death penalty. It's interesting to me that he actually put this in his wallet. He was a public figure. He knew it was possible. Violence is rampant in our nation. And actually wanted that that stated for his loved ones. 
Um, so I think the death penalty is, of course, we know applied unfairly, depending on your race, the skill of your attorney, and the geography of where it's done, and asking families to decide in a state of emotional crisis and trauma is totally unfair. And just to quickly add, sorry, this is Dan. Mario Cuomo was longtime governor of New uh, State of New York. Thank right? you. Yeah. Thank you, Bill. I just for those who aren't lawyers, you and I have heard. Um, uh, hundreds of times, we've heard jury instructions from a judge on the bench, instructing jurors over how to make, how to deliberate and make the decision that they have to make on the facts of the case, in a death penalty case, on the death penalty, and the judge instructs them that they have to be devoid of emotion, that it should be based on reason, and to ask that of someone who's just suffered a loss of the kind that Reverend McSherry just described, how is that possible? I'd also like to raise the question. The death penalty has significantly decreased in its popularity in the United States over the last 20 years. There is a fraction of the number of people being sentenced to death that there were 25 years ago. There is a fraction of the number of people who are being executed. And I'm wondering if that says something about the morality of the country and some movement somehow, despite all that's going on in our politics, towards some sort of movement to come closer to our better selves, our better angels. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with Reverend Michael McSherry and Reverend Andrea Vazian to discuss that. Stay with us. minutes to go and the whole town's waiting just to hear me yell I got 24 minutes to go well they gave me some beans for my last meal with 23 minutes to go you're listening to talk the talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg you're a nonprofit doing good work in the community. You want to let people know? That's easy. Talk to Hannah. Tell her you want to have a PSA on WHMP. If you're a community nonprofit, WHMP helps you communicate. Have an event? Need donations? Volunteers? Talk to Hannah. She'll help you craft a message and we'll run it at no cost. Hi, it's Hannah. Email me at hward at whmp.com or call me at 586-7400. WHMP News, Information, and the Arts and messages from community nonprofits. Your 1-0 UMass Minutemen head to Auburn this Saturday for a showdown against the Tigers out of the SEC. Join me, Jay Burnham, along with Patriots Hall of Famer Pete Brock for all the action starting with the Milton Camp pregame show at 3 o'clock right here on your new home for UMass football. It's WHMP. I grew up in West County, but I didn't know there were places like Nelquit until I realized that my mom needed some help. My dad was always controlling and kind of jealous. But after I left for college, it was just the two of them, and it seemed like it was just getting worse. My mom wasn't going out as much, and he would check her cell phone all the time to see who she was calling. Then he started threatening her. I talked to a friend who lives in the area, and she told me about Nelquit. I called the hotline because I was worried about her staying in the house that night. They understood why I was so worried, and they were able to help her to get to my grandma's house in Boston. Nelquit, New England Learning Center for Women in Transition, offering 24-hour crisis line support, 
walk-in appointments, counseling, safe plan, legal services, and supportive supervised children's visitation. If you or someone you know needs Nelquit, please reach out to them. They'll be there. 479 Main Street, Greenfield, Nelquit.org, N-E-L-C-W-I-T.org, or call 772-0871. How would you like some free money? How about $1,000? Details coming on WHMP. 1015 and 1400 WHMP. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. WHMP. We continue our conversation with Reverends Andrea Vase and Michael McSherry. We've been talking about the death penalty. And before the break, I raised the question about how the death penalty is being used less and less frequently in fewer and fewer states across the United States. And that trend is unmistakable. And I said, I raised the possibility, maybe we are coming closer to our better angels in some ways, despite all the political turmoil. And during the break, both Reverend Andrea Vazian and Reverend Michael McSherry said, in essence, Newman, you're wrong. I'd appreciate it if you'd share that with our listeners. Those are Let's some of my with... favorite words right there. <laughs> gee, gee, Bill, I, I could go on, but I won't. Um, uh, <clears throat> first, I do think there has been some substantive progress. I'm thinking now of the governors who've commuted sentences, who've um, who've who've said we're not going to impose the death penalty because of the innocence projects, pointing out how many people are convicted even in capital cases when later evidence um, demonstrates that they're innocent. Um, but I also think it's the result, uh, the, the, the lessening of the number of death penalties. Uh, prosecutors getting tired of having to do countless motions, countless uh, post-conviction uh, attempts to to postpone the imposition of the penalty. I just think they're getting tired of spending tons of money on, uh, on death penalty cases, so they're bringing fewer of them. Uh, that's not to say there hasn't been persuasion taking place also, but I don't think it's all that. And I would say, and Bill, that I would love to believe, how I would love to believe that as a nation we are moving more towards the better angels of our characters and our morality. But I don't think we, I don't think we are if I look at the rhetoric and social media and now the gearing up for the election. We are so divided. What I think is Americans are beginning to feel that the death penalty is barbaric. I read an article that said that American people have less appetite for how it is so ceremonial, that it's almost a sacrament, and that there is less appetite for this, the, the, the killing, killing someone to prove the killing is wrong, that people are, uh, have less appetite for it, and that permanent imprisonment is now considered serious enough, permanent imprisonment. So are we moving towards our better angels? How I would love to believe that, Bill and Buzz but I think that they're seeing the death penalty for what it is, which is cruel and unusual punishment based on race and barbaric. Well, I think it's really important to pause there for a minute. I'd like to note that the public opinion polls on the death penalty have in fact moved significantly, uh, and it is not a majority opinion. It's close, uh, but 
the country is very divided on whether the, there should be a death penalty, but it's not a majority position in favor of killing people anymore. And I think that's important. It, the public opinion may have changed for a lot of reasons, including that there hasn't been a dramatic uh, murder case that's riveted the country recently. But uh, I, I think that there has been a change, and I think there are reasons for it other than moving towards our better angels, but there has been a change. So we've, your thoughts on that, Michael well, McCurry? Or but, I think well, that's where I started, Bill. <laughs> it is where you started, and I do want to point out this year, I believe that there's only been four executions only. I'm sorry, that's four lost souls, but uh, there have been four executions in the United States this year. That is compared to years where there were machines uh, of, of executions. Um, it's definite progress. Unfortunately, we're here in Massachusetts where we don't have a death penalty bill. Well, it is uh, for that. Go ahead. Last word, Bill. No, last word is we're going to continue this conversation because the death penalty is wrong. It's barbaric. It's racist. It's imposed on those who don't have competent representation and or don't have money. And it is a system. If you want to kill one person, you got to have a whole system that's going to kill a lot of people you don't want to kill. It's a blight on all we of us. Well, thank you. Uh, and thank you all for joining us on Talk to Talk. Keep talking about the death penalty and talking about social justice. This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg on WHMP. Do you know what's happening this Friday at 9 a.m.? Is this week's shop Friday, Wildwood Barbecue? Correct. They go on sale this Friday at 9 a.m. Ribs, brisket, and pulled pork smoked low and slow. 16 rotating craft beer taps. Inspired creative specials from a scratch kitchen. Wildwood Barbecue on Route 9 in Hadley is the real deal. Get ready to save 30% beginning Friday at 9 a.m. The Shop 30 store at whmp.com. Need a ride to the doctor? Tech support? Pictures hung? Looking to connect with others in the community? At Northampton Neighbors, our goal is to help seniors live independent, fulfilling lives by providing connection and support along the way. We are free of charge and offer a range of social and volunteer opportunities, as well as services for members 55 and older in Northampton, Florence, and Leeds. Membership in Northampton Neighbors is about more than aging in place. It's about engaging in place, this place, the city of Northampton. We welcome one and all to join, volunteer, or donate to Northampton Neighbors. Together, we can create the community we all want to live in, now and in the future. Find us at NorthamptonNeighbors.org or by calling 413-341-0160. Thank you. WHMP Northampton and WRSI HD2 Turner's Falls, WHMP.com, a Northampton Radio Group station. It's 10 o'clock. One guy said that they were swimming out the window, so that tells me it's up, up over the window. I'm Jim Crisula, North Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. There has been major tidal flooding in downtown Charleston, and numerous flood warnings are posted in North Carolina, east of I-95. There has been property damage from suspected tornadoes in several areas. There are widespread power outages. No deaths or serious injuries have been reported from the storm in the Carolinas. At least three deaths are blamed on the storm, the latest in Georgia. In 
other parts of the country, people are gassing up for Labor Day weekend getaways. CBS's Haley Ott. Fuel analyst Patrick DeHaan says with summer coming to a close, prices should start dropping after Labor Day, barring any surprises. I do think that the trend will remain downward for the potential of the next few weeks, especially as we get into mid and late September. That's when a combination of the transition back to cheaper winter gasoline and falling gasoline demand should pave the way for lower prices. The national average for a gallon of regular today is 3.82. We're learning more about the building fire in South Africa today that's killed more than 73 people. The BBC's Pumza Filani has details from Johannesburg. It's a building that was condemned by its owners and declared unsafe. But what has subsequently happened is that it's understood it was taken over by so-called property cartels that are said to be operating in the city centre and they They've been then renting it out to scores of people per room, uh, charging sometimes exorbitant amounts for a very small size room. At least seven children are among the victims. Now to what's hot in the car department. Dodge, Challengers, and Chargers have always been targets of car thieves, but Matt Moore of the Highway Loss Data Institute says a powerful Challenger Hellcat is now 60 times more likely to be stolen than an average vehicle. It's highly likely that, that those vehicles are desirable and being stolen by professionals. Four Kias have now joined the theft risk list. EVs are the least likely to be stolen. Jeff Gilbert, CBS News, Detroit. The Dow is up 119 points, S&P ahead 13. This is CBS News. You need to hire fast and hire right? You need Indeed. Their all-in-one hiring platform helps you attract, interview, and hire candidates efficiently. Visit Indeed.com credit. My brother-in-law died suddenly, and now my sister and her kids have to sell their home. That's why I told my husband we could not put off getting life insurance any longer. An agent offered us a 10-year, $500,000 policy for nearly $50 a month. Then we called SelectQuote. SelectQuote found us identical coverage for only $19 a month, a savings of $369 a year. Whether you need a $500,000 policy or a $5 million policy, SelectQuote could save you more than 50% on term life insurance. For your free quote, Call Select Quote at 1 800 330 1991. That's 1 800 330 1991. Or go to SelectQuote.com. That's 1 800 330 1991. Select Quote. We shop, you save. Full details on example policies at SelectQuote.com slash commercials. Prison officials in South Carolina say a convicted murderer has lost his phone and computer privileges. It happened after Alec Murdoch's lawyer recorded him reading journal entries on a call for a documentary on his case. The state corrections department says policy prohibits inmates from talking to the media without permission because victims shouldn't have to see the person who committed a crime on the news. Prison officials say Murdoch, convicted of killing his wife and son, also used a different inmate's password to make a telephone. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. East Hampton is set to receive over $1 million to repair infrastructure. The grant is part of the Healy Driscoll Administration's Community Development Block Grants. The money will be aimed at improving the quality of life for residents of the new city neighborhood, one of the oldest and densest residential sections of the city. It will upgrade outdated and inefficient public infrastructure. 
Former Amherst School Committee member Peter Demling is the latest to resign amid an ongoing Title IX investigation. There have been multiple times where parades of cars have gone past my home, you know, where my family, my personal life, trying to pressure uh, decisions are disagreed with. And this, this is a tactic that has been used in Amherst in the past. Demling says the transition has been hard. Yeah, I mean, I'll be fully open and honest with you. I've done a lot of soul searching about that. And I'm, uh, you know, it's it's been a transition process trying to decouple from this engagement that's dominated all of my free time for the last six and a half years. The school committee is currently looking to fill the empty seats. Anyone interested in filling these positions needs to submit a statement of interest by September 20th. The Greenfield Redevelopment Authority has received no response to its request for proposals for the first national bank building on Bank Row. They are now looking into other options for the future of the building, including the process of giving the building to the city. The building has been unopened since 1976, but has had some renovations completed, including a new roof, removal of hazardous waste, and replacing the windows and doors when it was owned by the Franklin County Community Development Corporation. Your forecast for today, it's going to be mostly sunny. We'll see a high of 75, clear and cool tonight down to 48. Tomorrow, mostly sunny. We'll see a high of 76. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg on WHMP. And welcome to Talk the Talk. I am Buzz Eisenberg. And uh, Bill Newman, technology has failed us because Bill Newman is on are you joining us i'm here thank you I'm okay bill newman. a little delay with bill newman but he is joining us virtually but he's with us um boy we have been focused on amherst because amherst has been um well frankly a little chaotic recently um we have uh without uh, laboring through the entire history folks are aware that in the student newspaper the graphic there was an allegation that some students, uh, students uh, who were trans, uh, LGBTQ students, had been treated, uh, maybe not treated, had been uh, the victims of bullying and uh, other indignities, and the response by three um, counselors, school counselors, was uh, deemed to be uh, inadequate, such that they were uh, sort of uh, called to the carpet for that. The resulting... Uh, what ensued was uh, most recently the resignation of uh, members of the uh, school committee um, for Amherst, the Amherst School Committee, which deals with the elementary school, the Pelham School Committee, which deals with the Pelham Elementary School, uh, Union 26, the chair of that committee, which deals with hiring and firing of superintendent, and the Amherst uh, Pelham Regional School District, which um, the chair of which uh, resigned as well. Uh, we could keep going on and on. The superintendent took a medical leave in May um, and uh, came back in July, announced his resignation, and uh, after discussions with the school committee uh, resulted in a severance, which itself became part of a controversy. The, his assistant, um, Superintendent Doreen Cunningham, has uh, she was uh, put on temporary leave? She has filed a discrimination claim with the Massachusetts Commission Against Discrimination uh, after a presentment letter that says that she intends to 
sue uh, the school committee. Uh, today, we were hoping that an interim or acting superintendent is going to be announced um, so that the schools starting a new academic year will have some leadership in the superintendent's office. There's just so much to talk about, and it's impossible to talk about it all, but what's really important, what we want to focus on, is somebody who was committed to the schools. Allison McDonald was a school committee member who chaired the Amherst School Committee, and she resigned. She was one of the four school committee members who have recently resigned, and we're really fortunate to have Allison in studio with us. Hello, Allison. Hello. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, it's really difficult to... How was my summary, by the way? Uh, pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> Anything you want to add to it that you think listeners should know before we talk about your resignation? Um, I, I think you did a good job of sort of uh, talking about a complex and lengthy lengthy uh, situation and crisis in, in our district, and I think you did a, a nice job of that. I think um, the only thing that I would add is, um, and I'm not alone, um, I, I, I do not, I'm no longer a member of the school committee, so I do not speak for the school committee, but I, I know from my experience that there's not a single member on, on any of these committees that has not been distraught, upset, and very concerned about the experiences of the students that we've been hearing about from families and from community members. Um, that contributes, obviously, to, um, to the situation and the difficulty in managing through that. So I, I, I'm speaking only for myself, and I know that I'm not alone. That's really important to know that you're not alone, to hear that. And there was one, well, I'll supplement what I said by one other little fact, which is uh, the, the Emmer School Committee, because of the resignations, um, they lack a quorum. Their three new members might be appointed by the town council on September 26th, and that too has been a controversy about whether the town council should be appointing. That's something we might deal with in another day. Because what I really want you to explain, Allison McDonald, is uh, first of all, why you ran for school committee, and then after you explain what your tenure was like, why you resigned from the school committee. So let's start with why did you run for the school committee? I mean, what, tell us about your tenure there. Sure. Um, I will confess that it wasn't an idea that I dreamt up to, that I, it wasn't a dream that I had to serve on school committee. Um, I think that my story is probably not all that unique, that um, we get asked um, and invited to run um, by, by other um, sort of active community members, and that is partly my story. Um, I had been um, motivated and engaged in schools because when the first building project failed, uh, that was sort of a wake-up call for me. Um, I was somebody who trusted in, um, in the workings of our town government and decision-makers that the, you know, the best decisions would be made and things um, would happen, and was shocked when that failed and shocked when the uprising um, and sort of community engagement that followed that first failed vote um, with the town meeting, uh, I'm referencing, um, uh, you know, that even in spite of that, that that didn't happen. And so that motivated me to... What to town meeting are we talking about? What sorry, vote are we talking the about? The Amherst town meeting in, I'm going to get the year wrong, it was like 2016, 2017. Um, there was a vote um, for a debt exclusion to pay for that building project. It passed by 51, with 51% of the vote in Amherst. 
town meeting then had to approve the the actual debt. Um, this is under the old governance model, the representative correct. town meeting. Yep. Thank you. Thank you. That's okay. <laughs> um, good background. Um, and the town meeting, their only decision was not to vote on the project, but to vote on and approve the debt, and that failed. Um, the public uprising um, and protests and complaints, and so they there was a vote to override town meeting. Um, and while that passed, uh, sorry, while the vote was overwhelmingly in favor of that, it was, did not meet the two-thirds threshold that was required by that town charter to override a, vote, a town meeting. So this went to a plebiscite, to a referendum. Correct. And at the Correct. referendum earlier this year, um, it passed overwhelmingly. It did. It did. Um, the The original one, though, is what motivated me to get involved because I cared and thought that that building was very important, and I ran for town meeting, and that was sort of what, I guess, <laughs> made me sort of a target for... Um, for a candidacy and okay, school committee. Okay, so we, so we now have, earlier this year, we have uh, the people of Amherst, actually the voters of Amherst, actually approved of a brand new building. It was going to get lots of state support in terms of building these buildings. It was going to be state-of-the-art, green, wonderful learning environment for our kids. And then what happens that leads you to resign? Yes. Um, and I, you asked also about my tenure, and I think that was, you know, from the day... Um, you know, the month that I set foot on school committee, we were working on that project, bringing the community together to get to that, um, to get to that positive vote, in fact. Um, I think throughout, I, I just want to also be clear, I'm not a victim. I don't see myself as a victim. Um, I know that people are describing us as sort of claiming victimhood. That is not at all how I feel. Um, I experienced, uh, you know, I chose to run for school committee. I chose to step into the public limelight and and sort of be in, in that space, in very public space. And I'm well aware that your, you know, putting your opinions out there invites criticism. I welcome that. Um, it's uncomfortable. Um, and that's okay. That's how we make good decisions is by sort of having that discourse and having that debate. Um, in the process, though, through multiple um, contentious and controversial discussions, debates, deliberations, decisions, um, whether it was COVID, which I ended up chairing both the region and the Amherst School Committee throughout all of that. Um, the, um, the high school athletic fields project and track renovation, the um, various uh, leadership uh, turnover at the middle school or at uh, the Fort River Elementary School, pushback complaints about the hiring process, um, the extended and protracted union negotiations with our teachers' union over the past 18 months, um, and then finally this. It's it's um, this most recent um, crisis. It's, I don't know what better word for it at the middle school. Um, Bill, it sounds like An Allison McDonald has her hands full. Well, it does. I'd like to, Allison, I'd really like you to get to the nub of this. You ran uh, because you were asked by people to run. You were involved with town politics. Great. You became a member of the school committee. You were elected. I got it. You've resigned now. You resigned because, and you put out a public statement as to why, and you talk about bullying. You talk about uh, the, the, the intense uh, uh, criticism that you received. So bad 
that you resigned. So tell us what it was. What made you resign? It, it's really the, the cumulative buildup of all of that. It's, um, you know, enduring that and sort of going through the sleepless nights, the, um, the you know, fear of walking around the neighborhood and worrying that you're going to be spit on. Um, because I, I did experience that. I, Literally I, spit on? Not spit on. I had um, I had a actually a paraeducator um, scream in my face, six inches from my face, in front of a group of students um, during during contract negotiations. Paraeducators uh, were claiming that they were being uh, unf- uh, unfairly treated and not paid nearly enough money as to warrant the work that they do. Correct. Um, you know, each one of no one incident, no one thing is enough to sort of say, that's it, I'm throwing in the towel and I'm out. Um, it's, it's really just, you know, it's the, the water torture, right? It's just drip after drip after drip. And at some point, um, and really the realization came to me when I, I was on vacation recently, um, uh, a family vacation, and this sidelined my entire vacation, um, you know, between meetings, phone calls, um, thinking about it, writing about it, and just not being able to let go um, and truly unplug. And I'm getting all agitated even remembering that, right? right? So um, it, it, it just wears you down. And when you get to that point that you can no longer separate the two and sort of live a fulfilled life, I'm not bringing my best self to the school committee work. I'm not bringing my best self to the community work. And I'm not bringing my best self to myself and my family and the things that matter to me personally. So that really, it's not one thing. It's not one letter that I got. It's not one person's words. It's really just the the buildup of that over time and the realization of the impact that that was having on me. Uh, Bill, I, I just want to point out, Bill, um, to you, this sounds a lot like what we heard from Ben Harrington, who resigned, and from Peter Demling, who resigned? It sounds like the personal toll that uh, it, this environment uh, took on on the people who were volunteering on behalf of their community was great. What do you think, Bill? I'd be interested to know from uh, this former school committee member, Allison, has there been a diminution in civility in Amherst? It's always been a con- town that's pride- prided itself on its ability to debate and to deal with contentious issues. But has something changed? You know, I've lived in Amherst for 20 years, and, and I know that's a short term and <laughs> by many definitions. <laughs> a newcomer. <laughs> I'm still a newcomer. Um, it feels like it has shifted. Um, uh, I, I don't think it's new. I just think it's more. Um, the What we experience is in you know and I wrote about this in my statement we're not debating the issues we all agree something needs to happen and something you know things weren't working if for this um this individual child to have experienced the harm that they've experienced nobody disputes that the what we're and we're not even arguing about how do we rectify that we're arguing about does so and so care does so and so have the value students? Does so and so value have better morals or better more progressive cred than the next person? Um, and it just 
distracts us from having the real conversations that we all really, I think, deep down want to be having is how do we fix this? How do we get ourselves out of this? How do we heal and how do we protect? Um, and instead, um, you know, what we experienced over the 18 months of, of contract negotiations was direct questioning of the values of the school committee members. And, I, and again, it's not personal. I'm not, I'm not claiming to be a victim. But when you see, uh, yes, it's a tactic that people can use and nobody's questioning and just like Trump is allowed to lie, you know, unions are allowed to use whatever tactic they feel is going to be most powerful. What's disheartening is the unquestioning acceptance of that as, you know, that's the way we should be bargaining. That's the way we should be engaging our community. That's the way we should be activating our public is smears and questioning about whether school committee values educators or values the people that support the children in our district. Um, that's without question. Everybody values, and we wouldn't be doing this and sacrificing our time um, for that. And yet, the debate becomes about who cares more, and not what is a living wage, what is a fair wage for for teachers. How should we structure this? How should we fund it? Where should the funding come? And frankly, what I experienced also was that the community doesn't show up for those conversations. They show up for the conversations about. Does, does Jane, school committee member, care, or are they corrupt, and not where are you going to find the money, how are we going to get the money to pay for what we want to, what we want to see in our schools? I think is, that's a really good place to take a break, and during the break, ponder is the manner in which we discuss something when it gets in the way of that which we're trying to determine needs to be done. Uh, what's wrong with this picture? We're going to be right back. Come on down with me, baby. Come on down. Come on down with me, baby. Let's leave this town. And I don't want to... This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. Find local news and local talk for the Valley. It is critical that the investigation is not limited to federal violations of gender discrimination, but includes the alleged allegations of corruption, nepotism, abuse of power, and use of position to aid Ms. Cunningham's personal business. These allegations actually require an investigation by a different body than a Title IX investigator. Where the heart of the Pioneer Valley lives. 101.5 and 1400 WHMP. News, information, and the arts. Banking with Greenfield Savings Bank is more rewarding than ever with our free You Choose Rewards. You Choose is our debit cards reward program that rewards you every time you use your GSB Debit MasterCard. You Choose Rewards is free. And with You Choose Rewards, you'll earn points that can be redeemed for dining, shopping, traveling, cashback, donations, and more. Link your GSB Debit MasterCard with your mobile wallet, including Apple Pay, Google Pay, Samsung Pay, and PayPal. It's easy to start earning with You Choose Rewards. Just go to our website and sign up for You Choose Rewards for your GSB Debit MasterCard. It's free. All you need to do is sign up and you'll earn rewards every time you use your GSB Debit MasterCard. You Choose Rewards, the free debit card rewards program that earns you points every time you use your GSB Debit MasterCard. Sign up today at greenfieldsavings.com slash youchoose. Greenfield Savings Bank, member FDIC, member DIF. 
Are you tired of feeling like a watchless hero in a world full of timekeeping villains? Fear not. Hero Watch Repair is here to save the day. With over 20 years of experience and a heroic five-star customer rating, Hero Watch is the ultimate superhero of watch repair and customization in the valley. These heroes possess the power to buy, fix, sell, and customize watches like no other. They'll swoop in, rescue your timepiece, and restore it to its former glory. Call Avery at Hero Watch Repair, East Hampton. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. And we are back continuing our conversation with the uh, recently resigned chair of the Amherst School Committee, Allison McDonald. Bill, during the break, you were saying that you had a question for Allison. I do. Allison, I'd like to know whether or not you are pointing to the uh, residents of Amherst who show up at various meetings and or who confront you or whether you are, in fact, uh, pointing the finger at the union or its leadership. I mean, who is, in your opinion, the 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 impetus for the uh, uh, un well the lack of civility in the conversations and that has affected you or did affect you as a school committee member? I'd like to really know who's to blame in your judgment. In your judgment, it's a it's a complex web is how I would describe it. But I think, um, sure, you know, I, I just said, you know, before the break, it was uh, some of the tactics that the union used, but we're, we're, I'm not, that's within their rights. And that is, um, you know, whatever we, we, we might disagree, um, we might agree on the goals, but the tactics to get there, we might disagree on. Where I, where I lay, I, I blame feels too harsh of a word to me, but um, what what I call out in my resignation statement is that our community accepts that, um, and not just accepts it, but sort of embraces that. It gives, it opens the door for more of that, right? So when, when um, you know, whether it's the union leadership saying that um, school committee doesn't value educators, or it's pub people at public comment that are saying that school committee doesn't care about students. Um, school committee doesn't value um, LGBTQIA plus students um, and their experience, or we don't value the public. Well, what that gets to when there's no, no counter narrative in there, that sort of breeds on itself, right? It's, it just keeps growing because nobody's pushing back on that. Nobody is you know, I, I, sorry for being disjointed, but it's the, you know, the saying of, you know, the best way to drown out, you know, to counteract, um, quote unquote, bad speeches with more good speech, right? And I, and I think that's what's missing is in the absence of more voices talking in a respectful and civil way, we sort of give license to the questioning of individual personal values, the questioning of personal character or motivation, the ac accusations of corruption or conspiracy. Um, anybody, there's, uh, you know, it's within people's rights to say that. Nobody's questioning that. I'm certainly not. Um, and, and that's not what felt sort of harmful from me as a school committee. It was the fact that there was no other voices sort of countering that and saying, hey, uh, I disagree, and let's talk really about how do we get things done. Let's not talk about you know that wh whether 
you know, Joe Schmo is motivated to do this and really cares. I have an observation, Buzz. I mean, from hearing what you just said, feels like the people who feel like there is an injustice being done to them is directing at the school committee when it really feels like it should be directed at the town council and all their leadership because it seems like they're getting the, the wrong institution as the blame for the issue. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, it's, it, it is interesting. I think there's just a fundamental, um, I don't want to say misunderstanding, but limited understanding of how um, the different decision bodies and governance systems in our town work, right? Um, the school committee um, has very, very, you know, solid lines and of areas, you know, an area of responsibility, and that is the school budget. But we don't determine how much we get to spend in the school budget. We determine, here's this bucket of money that we have available. How are we going to spend that, and what are we going to prioritize with that spending? the town council, and then also the state and the federal government is 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 what decides um, and determines how much money we have to work with as a school committee. So yes, you're absolutely right. The town council determines that to a certain extent. And I didn't serve on town council, but to a certain extent, they also have severe restrictions in terms of what they can do. By state law, we can only raise property taxes um, by, at a maximum of 2.5%. Um, so that puts sort of a cap on even what's available from the town to send to the school. And Amherst is already pretty high, too. It's very high. It's very high. Right. And from those, I think most of us do know, but for those who don't, the town council is the legislative entity that effectively governs Amherst. And Amherst has a unique, well, sort of unique uh, form of government instead of having uh, an independent executive branch like a mayoral system would have or like a select board system would have. Uh, the town manager is sort of uh, the product of the town council in Amherst, so that uh, it is the town council that sort of, in in quotes, air quotes, uh, governs um, Amherst. I'm, I, it's disconcerting that this third resignee from the Amherst school committees, um, I, there's this recurring theme, which is the, the level of unfairness in the discourse, the level of the lack of civility, it, it's kind of a condemnation of the community's ability of inability to talk about important topics in a civil way. That's kind of frightening. Um, Bill, don't you find that sort of, doesn't it make you nervous? Well, I think that civil discourse is really important. I also think that respect for the ability and the, the rights of people to express themselves with passion and with fervor and with intensity and with commitment is also important. But there is a place for civility that matters because we don't want to make this experience so utterly uh, unpleasant for, for individuals that people don't want to do it anymore. And that's what I'm afraid of with Amherst, which is who's going to want to run for a position where you get an enormous amount of criticism um, that seems to be personal ad hominem uh, uh, attacks, not about what you believe, but about who you are. And that just seems to me to reflect unfavorably on the town and its way of going about doing the town's business. I want to see 
this fervor. I want to see people in passion. I want to see the union fighting for its members. I want to see better uh, pay for teachers and the other educators in the school. I want to see all that. I want them to fight. I want to hear all that. But I don't want to hear that, oh, you don't, you're a bad person because you think the number that I'm proposing is wrong. That seems to me off base. Allison McDonald, last word. Uh, does, does that resonate with what totally I, you, and you can't see me um, <laughs> but I'm like nodding nodding vigorously and 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 strongly I, I wholeheartedly agree with you Bill um, I, I think you know and I think really this is a moment and an opportunity for us to really open the door um, and and sort of create um, that uh, you know a broader space for more of that kind of discourse in Amherst and I'm hopeful that through our resignations and through our, our our candid statements about what it experienced. I mean, I'm already, both privately and publicly, we're seeing conversation about how do we create a public square that is vibrant and is dynamic in the way that you just described, Bill, um, that isn't sort of, people are still going to tear people down. That's going to happen, but that that doesn't become the dominant narrative in our town, that we're really vigorously debating the issues and how are we going to get to where we want to be. And that's what I hope um, for our town. Well, Allison McDonald, I want to thank you for your service in the past. Um, I suspect we haven't heard the last of Allison McDonald. And uh, we, you know, our attention has been riveted on Amherst for obvious reasons. It's, it, it's, uh, it's such an important part of this region. Today, Amherst is welcoming in uh, these UMass students. Uh, uh, there's a new freshman class of the most number of applications in UMass's history, and I think something like 6,300 fresh freshmen have been um, uh, admitted, and they're moving in today. Um, there's all kinds of discussion that we could have about the university, but um, we're focused on Amherst schools, uh, the elementary schools, the middle school, and the, the high school. We're going to continue looking at that, and Allison, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. We're going to go a little bit more global, and we're going to look uh, at um, healing across the divides. We're going to be looking at, well, peace building with Dr. Norbert Goldfield right after this. More Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg coming up right here on WHMP. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. East Hampton is set to receive over $1 million to repair infrastructure. The grant is part of the Healy Driscoll Administration's Community Development Block Grants. The money will be aimed at improving the quality of life for residents of the new city neighborhood, one of the oldest and densest residential sections of the city. It will upgrade outdated and inefficient public infrastructure. Former Amherst School Committee member Peter Demling is the latest to resign amid an ongoing Title IX investigation. There have been multiple times where parades of cars have gone past my home, you know, where my family, my personal life, trying to pressure uh, decisions are disagreed with. And this, this is a tactic that has been used in Amherst in the past. Demling says the transition has been hard. Yeah, I mean, I'll be fully open and honest with you. I've done a lot of soul searching about that. And I'm, uh, you know, it's, it's been a transition process trying to decouple from this engagement that's dominated all of my free time for the last six and a half years. The school committee is currently looking to fill the empty seats. Anyone interested in filling these positions 
needs to submit a statement of interest by September 20th. The Greenfield Redevelopment Authority has received no response to its request for proposals for the first national bank building on Bank Row. They are now looking into other options for the future of the building, including the process of giving the building to the city. The building has been unopened since 1976, but has had some renovations completed, including a new roof, removal of hazardous waste, and replacing the windows and doors when it was owned by the Franklin County Community Development Corporation. Your forecast for today, it's going to be mostly sunny. We'll see a high of 75, clear and cool tonight down to 48. Tomorrow, mostly sunny. We'll see a high of 76. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. What's cooking at River Valley Co-op? Here's avid eater, grocery shopper, and co-op member Bill Newman. Local farmers are arriving at the co-op every day with summer berries, corn, tomatoes, and watermelon, and endless bounty. At the co-op seafood counter, little neck clams are rolling in. What goes better with corn and tomatoes than sweet, briny little necks? No time to cook today? The co-op makes pizza, sandwiches, burgers, sushi, and smoothies, and they make it all from scratch. River Valley Co-op, wild about local. Everyone is welcome. The Three County Fair. Wow, the magic of Lance Gifford. The Great Late Summer Fair. The demolition derbies are insane. Labor Day weekend in Northampton. All the free concerts. You going? Never miss the fair. The Three County Fair. Free parking. The racing pigs are so cute. Summer's not over yet. Are you kidding? The wall of death? Can't wait for Shania Twin. What do you go for? The rides. The games. The food. The Great Late Summer Fair. The Three County Fair. Labor Day weekend in Northampton. The Daily Hampshire Gazette, the Pioneer Valley's newspaper covering Holyoke to Deerfield and Belchertown to the Hilltowns, was awarded New England Newspaper of the Year for their local news coverage. Home delivered six days a week and online 24-7. Try their digital-only subscription options and stay connected with your community wherever you are. Pick up a copy on newsstands, subscribe, or visit gazettenet.com. The Daily Hampshire Gazette, covering the Pioneer Valley since 1786. There are days where you just want to hang a sign on the door. Gone fishing. But you're not going to get a line in the water today. So you go to Paul and Elizabeth's, which may be the next best thing. Order the fish and chips. It's tempura style fish. The batter's so light and airy. The chips are fresh cut in Paul and Elizabeth's kitchen. Have you tried Paul and Elizabeth's Cajun sampler? Shrimp, scallops, and cod with a spicy etouffee sauce. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. Is there a doctor in the house? Well, there is. We have with us Dr. Norbert Goldfield. He's the executive director and founder of Healing Across the Divides. Hello, Norbert. Pleasure to be back on with you. It's great to uh, be with both of you. Yeah, so we've, we've been focused on uh, local politics in Amherst, but... Um, you're going to bring us to uh, something that's uh, a little bit further away than across the Cooley, uh, Cabot Coolidge Bridge. You're going you're gonna to bring us to the Middle East. So um, for those who don't know, tell us a little bit about healing across the divides and tell us what's going on right now. So uh, unfortunately, there, there continue to be uh, ongoing tragedies on both sides of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Uh, uh, an Israeli was uh, killed uh, yesterday in a ramming attack. Uh, today, a Palestinian was killed. So these are, you know, unacceptable killings on both sides. And the question is, is what to do about it? 
Uh, I live here in Northampton, and I was lucky uh, to start uh, an organization, uh, Healing Across the Divides, because I live here and I'm going to be here for the rest of my life in Northampton. Started in 2004, and the the mission of the organization is to measurably improve the health of marginalized Israelis and all Palestinians through community-based efforts. And uh, we've been in existence for 19 years. We've funded about 50 groups. We had a call yesterday with, uh, we just had a call for proposals for four or five new groups. We had a meeting yesterday to help them put together the best final proposal that are, is due on September 15th. So that's what we do. And I think that's a concrete and measured response to what's going on. So Norbert, could you, could you spend just one more minute, please, on what Healing Across the Divides is, how it functions? I know it's headquartered here because you're the founder. It's headquartered in Northampton. But who else is involved? Are these doctors? Are these uh, uh, other uh, helping professionals? What is the organization? Thanks, uh, Bill. Uh, <clears throat> Healing Across the Divides is a 501c3. We have Arab Americans, Jewish Americans, and in fact, some evangelical Christians uh, on, the, on the board. People who are interested in the conflict are throughout the United States, uh, from Los Angeles to Washington, D.C. Um, and uh, by working with communities, in fact, most of the uh, people who are involved are, in fact, uh, maybe health professionals, but broadly defined. We're, we believe that by measurably improving the health through working with community groups. These community groups can be strengthened in these grants that we give them. The leaders are absolutely amazing. And our long-term hope is that some of these leaders of the, some of these community groups uh, we, who we met with, for example, yesterday, who are candidates for grants uh, that we'll be finding out at the end of September, uh, could be tomorrow's political leaders. Because as we know, much of the world today uh, including the United States, the uh, political leaders in Israel and Palestine are, shall we say, have are lacking. Uh, I, I I can't help but notice that when you talk about uh, the mission of um, improving health, uh, it says marginalized Israelis and all Palestinians. Why is it couched in those terms? appreciate your asking that question. It's done intentionally because the reality is that Israel is a first world country. Uh, the Palestinian territories, Palestine is not really even a country, uh, uh, is a, an area that's under military occupation. So the question is, since both sides, uh, the way I look at it personally, is that these are two nationalisms that are competing for the same land. The question is, is how and what can happen what can be done uh, so that these two people uh, who insist on being there can possibly come eventually to peace. And so what we do is we start, since I'm not one of those 10 or 15 people, and there probably are 10 or 15 people who could make a difference from the top down, I believe working from the bottom up then, communities can uh, make a difference. You believe in all, you know, all of us listening to this program believe in the community of Northampton, broadly defined the Pioneer Valley. The question is, is what can we do from my perspective of Northampton? So that's what marginalized Israelis and all Palestinians uh, is referring to. 
Executive Director Norbert Goldfield, you, um, Healing Across the Divides, uh, conducts webinars, and there's one that's coming up. Can you tell us about the webinar that's coming up and what it's about? So we do a study tour, an annual study tour, uh, uh, in March of uh, 2000, uh, every year. The next one will be March 2024. The idea is that seeing is believing. So you see the the fact that Palestinians and Israelis are, in fact, uh, some ways trying to work together. Uh, we see the grantees, we see the beautiful sights, we eat the beautiful food. It's done in concert. Uh, the study tour is done in combination with Majesty Tours, which was founded by a Palestinian who now lives in the United States, but whose brother was killed in the Second Intifada. Uh, I just, I just the, want to spell that for uh, folks. M-E-J-D-I, Majdi. Thank you. Um, and the second intifada, which was the Palestinian uprising in, two, uh, in 2000. Uh, Aziz Abu Sara, who founded uh, Mejdi Tours, his brother was killed in the second intifada. He had a great deal of difficulties himself. He was arrested uh, by Israeli military. He decided to go down a, a different path. And so he decided to work on the path of tourism as a form of peace. So they're the tour operator. We work with them. We've had uh, tours every year since 2016. And uh, the webinar on September 10th at 1030 in the morning, will be highlighting two of our grantees and we'll highlight the kinds of things that you'll be seeing if you're able to come on the study tour in March, 2024. And the webinar, it's gonna take place on September 10th, at 1030 in the morning, is that right? Correct. Eastern time. Right. So what, Correct. what will people experience if they uh, uh, enroll in and participate in that webinar? So you'll see, um, in addition to myself, you'll see two of our grantees. We have, we're featuring two grantees. One uh, is a joint uh, Jewish or Arab or Palestinian uh, initiative that we're funding and working with. Uh, in fact, I met with them this morning. Uh, that is on prenatal and postnatal classes. Uh, and uh, we met uh, in the study tour this year, we met with uh, some of the mothers, the uh, Arab uh, and the Jewish uh, mothers who are working uh, together in prenatal and postnatal classes. And as the chair of the board said at that meeting uh, of this organization that's called Medical Wadi, uh, about 25 miles uh, northeast of Tel Aviv, she said, let's not forget that all babies, both Palestinian, Arab, and American, Palestinian, Arab, American, and Jewish, they all come out of the same place. And when they, they emerge, they all speak the same language. And that's the whole idea of this joint prenatal and postnatal class together. Because in fact, unfortunately in Israel right now, in most hospitals, Jews and Arabs or Palestinian women who give birth are giving birth in separate uh, wards. Um, the, how can people find out more about this webinar? I think the best way to do it is uh, just to email me. Uh, I have a very simple email address. It's norbert, N-O-R-B-E-R-T, at healingdivides.org, Healing Divides, or look up Majdi Tours, M-A-J-D-I. Uh, they'll have, uh, for sure, uh, uh, information about the webinar if not up today, it'll be up certainly within the next 24 to 48 hours. Sounds like a good place to go online. 
We are uh, talking with Norbert Goldfield. We're going to continue our conversation about healing across the divides and about the webinar and about the tour right after this. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. Power to the people. Tag your it. Tom Hartman, weekdays at noon. Tom Hartman program, your home for the resistance, commentary, conversation, and common cause. Join me, Tom Hartman, every weekday from noon to 3 right here on WHMP. 1015 and 1400 WHMP. You love your car. We all do. It's part of our DNA. If your vehicle gets into an accident, the people to turn to are the collision experts at Fort Hill Collision Services in Amherst. Fort Hill lets you leave your concerns at the door. They'll fix your vehicle to better than factory standards and deal with your insurance company from start to finish. Fort Hill is locally owned and operated. They're part of the community, and they guarantee the work they do every time. Trust Fort Hill Collision Services, Route 9, Amherst, and online at forthillcs.com. Do you know a woman of impact? Nominate her now for the Business West Women of Impact Awards, honoring women who are respected for accomplishments in their professional life, who give back to the community, and are sought out as advisors and mentors. Business West is looking for the 2023 Women of Impact. Help Business West discover them. Go to businesswest.com to nominate a woman you know making an impact in the community. The deadline to nominate is September 5th. The Northampton Community Music Center provides quality, accessible music education to more than 1,000 members of the greater Northampton community. Hi, this is Jason Trotta, Executive Director of the Northampton Community Music Center. Our scholarship fund helps those with limited means access affordable music instruction and has never turned away a qualifying applicant in its 33 years of existence. To find out how you can help, please visit our website at ncmc.net. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. As we all know, among the most nettlesome divides is the Arab-Israeli conflict. Generation after generation, it seems, what we do is we, we try to um, bridge the divide with love and caring and understanding, and instead hate seems to get in the way, and it just seems intractable. Well, somebody who's been working uh, for many years to try to bridge that divide is uh, Dr. Norbert Goldfield here in Northampton. He has founded and serves as executive director of Healing Across the Divides, which conducts tours. And we were just talking about a webinar that's going to be held on September 10th that you can find out about by going to uh, either emailing uh, Nor Norbert Goldfield or by uh, looking at Mejdi Tours, M-E-J-D-I Tours, which is partnered with Healing Across the Divide uh, for a March 
tour. Um, so we were talking before the break, um, Norbert, about what people can experience if they, in fact, go to the webinar. Um, so I just want to ask you, you've been, for so many of us, it's like, yikes, how are we ever going to bridge this divide? Why do you think by focusing on health care, how, how is that the vehicle to um, connect people who sometimes refuse to talk to each other? Health is not the vehicle, it is a vehicle. And so what I would say uh, is that what's great about doing health is that everybody, every human being desires better health. Number two is that health is uh, very political. I'm sure you have programs on the, on the station which talks about the disparities in health in, in different parts of the United States. Well, those same socioeconomic disparities are present in Israel and in the Palestinian territories, but they're layered on by the military occupation. And what's, uh, what's, what's really advantageous about health is that it's very political without ever using the word politics. So it's, uh, uh, it's a very uh, 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 positive way of addressing the situation. And if one can address some of the aspects and really measurably improve the health, there will be a political spillover. Our hope is for sure, as I've already indicated, is that some of these groups are strengthened. They're the ones that are local. They're the ones that are gonna have to make the changes. We're not, uh, we're not gonna be the ones, but they can and they have done that. And we hope to expand our reach to as many groups as we can reach. In the years that you've been doing this work, have, uh, how, how have you seen the arc moving that is do you find anything promising in the in the, tr the how things are trending in terms of the divide uh or are you more demoralized than ever in terms of how things are trending across the divide well, i should clarify uh whether i'm working in the united states or in springfield when i see patients tomorrow i'm never demoralized you know that said that said that's just how, I, how i'm constructed by nature that said uh, there's no question that the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, if anything, uh, has worsened uh, over the last 20 years. However, uh, it's people who are going to make the difference. It's these groups that are going to make the difference. So it's not written in stone that that's how the future will be. We just have to continue to try different ways. We are always open for critique. We should be open to the idea uh, uh, that, in fact, the only way change is going to happen is from community on up. No other way. In the couple of minutes we have left, if, if, and we're going to talk about the webinar, how people can get plugged into it, but if people go on this tour in March, at the end of the tour, what's going to be their takeaway? Their takeaway is going to be, and that's what's so amazing, and that's why, you know, I myself love the, the study tour, because you get inspired by these people because these young leaders uh, uh most of the vast majority of whom are women uh and uh, uh is that they haven't given up they realize that the situation the arc as you uh highlighted is getting getting more challenging but not only have they not given up they realize that it's their mission to improve the health not just of individuals but the families and communities that surround them 
Bill, you've been involved with across the divide before, and you you healing across the divides, uh, and you know Norbert well. Uh, what's been your impression over the years? Well, I actually like to uh, instead of answering that question, I'd like to ask Norbert one more. I, I, Norbert, I, I'd love to know from you uh, as a doctor, as a political activist, as a social justice worker, where's the light at the end of the tunnel in Israel today, given what's happening with the Supreme Court, given the expansion of the settlements? Tell me where you see the light. The light is very simply when we were on the study tour, uh, many of us went, it's not formally part of the study tour, but we'll just see what the situation is next year. The light is seeing people coming out in the tens of thousands and the hundreds of thousands in demonstrations against what's going on uh, within Israel. The light is seeing the fact that there's well over a hundred organizations similar to Healing Across the Divides that are members of an organization called Alliance for Middle East Peace. So despite the challenges, there are people like myself in the United States, but there has to be people uh, and organizations within the area that are pushing it. That's the light at the end of the tunnel. Well, and, and I, no, but, um, in the roughly eight minute that we have left, I just want to point out, people can find out more about this webinar, which will teach you more about the study tour in March. That webinar is going to be held on September 10th. It's going to be at 1030. You could write to Norbert at healing divides, plural, dot org. You could also go to Mejdi, M-E-J-D-I, tours, and you can find out more about it. And um, last word, Norbert, um, this webinar, it's going to be interesting to say the least. Yeah, at the end of the day, what you'll see is people, organizations on the ground who are making a difference day to day, the prenatal and postnatal Jewish Arab uh, uh, class is is going to already be spread throughout the uh, throughout Israel. That's what I've seen a glorious day. Do you love fishing, swimming, or boating, but hate the trash you find? Do you want to help protect clean water and wildlife? Whether you live near the Deerfield River, Millers, Westfield, Chicopee, or Connecticut, your local river needs you. Join the Connecticut River Conservancy and help us protect our rivers. Our rivers belong to all of us, and each of us has a responsibility. Together, we can make a difference. Learn more about what you can do at ctriver.org. Want to make a difference in a big way? Nearly 200 children in Hampshire County are on a waiting list to be matched with adult mentors called BIGS. Children who are matched with mentors through Big Brothers, Big Sisters of Hampshire County do better in school, report higher self-confidence, and have better relationships with peers. Start something. Call 413-259-3345 and volunteer or donate to Big Brothers, Big Sisters of Hampshire County. 